You're listening to Subdivisions, a podcast about 80s music and the artists who made it. I'm your host, Dylan Johnson. In 1985, Marcus Thompson founded the Timex Crew, along with Gregory Thomas, Michael Marshall, Craig Samuel, and Darian Klieg, all high school students in Berkeley, California. Samuel Klieg and Thomas left the group in 1986, Alex Hill and Kevin Moore joined as their replacements, and they changed their name to Timex Social Club. Producers Jay King and Denzel Foster recruited the group to record the single Rumors later that year, which was a massive hit. The single would top the U.S. R&B and dance charts and go top 10 in the U.S., U.K., Canada, Netherlands, New Zealand, and West Germany. An absolutely unprecedented performance for an R&B indie label. They quickly signed with Fantasy Records and recorded an album, Vicious Rumors, which yielded two more R&B Top 20 hits, Mixed Up World and Thinking About Ya. The group opened for Run DMC on their Raising Hell tour, along with the Beastie Boys, LL Cool J, and Houdini, and also opened for New Edition, Midnight Star, the SOS Band, and Cool and the Gang, all in 1986. The group's rapid rise to success led to serious infighting over money, and the group disbanded before their songs had even dropped off the charts. King and Foster then recruited Samuel Prater, Thomas McElroy, and Valerie Watson to form a new group, which they named Club Nouveau, French for New Club, and released an answer single to rumors called Jealousy about the breakup of Timex Social Club. That led to their own hit album, Life, Love, and Pain, which featured the number one R&B and pop cover of Bill Withers' Lean On Me. Interestingly, one of the follow-up singles to Lean On Me was Why You Treat Me So Bad. (laughs) 
which would be reworked by Looney's in 1995 as I Got Five on it, a song on which the hook is sung by ex-Timex social club singer Michael Marshall. The current version of Timex Social Club consists of DJ Marcus Thompson and singer Samuel Prater, who is also one of the current singers of Club Nouveau, along with Jay King and Valerie Watson English. Here's Timex Social Club with rumors. Tell me that temptation is very hard to resist. But these wicked women. Houston was the daughter of gospel singer Sissy Houston, first cousin to Dionne Warwick, her godmother was Darlene Love, and Aretha Franklin was close enough to the family to be called aunt, so to say that singing was in her blood would be an understatement. She joined her church choir at five and gave her first solo performance at twelve. Houston sang backing vocals on her mother's 1978 album, Think It Over, which would lead to producer Michael Zager having her sing solo on his 1978 album, Life's a Party. In 1980, she would sing background vocals on albums by Shaka Khan and Lou Rawls. Around this time, Houston also began a modeling career, appearing on the cover of Seventeen, and record companies began offering recording contracts, which Houston's mother summarily rejected as she wanted Whitney to finish school. In 1982, she sang lead on the track Memories for bassist Bill Laswell's band Material. That track led her to signing with Arista Records in 1983. The label took their time recording an album, wanting to make sure they had the right songs and producers for Houston, so her first appearances on record after signing with Arista were duets with Jermaine Jackson, Kashif, and Teddy Pendergrass, the latter of which would be Houston's first hit, Hold Me. No, There's something in your eyes I see. 
Her debut album, Whitney Houston, was released in early 1985 to modest sales. 55 weeks later, the album would top the charts. Based on the strength of three number one singles, Saving All My Love For You, How Will I Know, and a cover of George Benson's theme to the Muhammad Ali biopic, The Greatest, Greatest Love Of All. follow-up album, Whitney, released in 1987, continued Houston's pop dominance, with the first four singles all topping the pop charts in addition to the R&B charts, a first for a woman, and it gave her seven consecutive number one singles, bypassing the Beatles and the Bee Gees for the most consecutive number one singles in history. The lead single, I Want to Dance with Somebody Who Loves Me, went number one in 16 countries and sold over 9 million copies globally. The ensuing tour lasted almost two years. She followed that up with 1990's I'm Your Baby Tonight, her third multi-platinum album, with five more singles charting in the R&B Top 10, with two, the title track, and All the Man That I Need, topping the pop charts. She famously sang the Star-Spangled Banner before Super Bowl XXV, with all of the proceeds of the single release going to benefit the American Red Cross. Next, Houston starred in The Bodyguard, which did great at the box office, and the accompanying soundtrack included her cover of Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You, a song that was so ubiquitous in 1992, shattering the previous record for weeks at number one with a then-record 14 weeks, but also topping the R&B charts for a record 11 weeks while simultaneously topping the adult contemporary charts. She then starred in Waiting to Exhale and The Preacher's Wife, along with the made-for-TV Cinderella, with all of those soundtracks also selling like hotcakes. Life never tells us the winds You will exhale, say, shoot. 
Throughout the 2000s, she continued to release hit songs and albums, albeit not as huge as her successes in the 80s and 90s. If six of y'all went out, uh, then four of you were really cheap, yeah. Cause only two of you had dinner, found your credit card seat. It's not right. began to miss appearances and concerts due to an increasingly large drug habit. Whitney Houston died on February 11, 2012, from drowning in her bathtub after suffering a drug overdose. Back in 1986, her breakthrough song was How Will I Know, a track originally written for Janet Jackson, but rejected as it didn't fit in with what would wind up being her control album, and so it was given to then-unknown Houston. The video for How Will I Know was the first video by a black woman to go into heavy rotation on MTV. This is How Will I Know by Whitney Houston. Aretha Franklin was born in Memphis, Tennessee to C.L. Franklin, a Baptist minister, and Barbara Franklin, an accomplished pianist and singer. Franklin's father was a famous minister, and she grew up in a house with famous musicians and preachers constantly visiting, including Mahalia Jackson, Martin Luther King Jr., Sam Cooke, and Jackie Wilson. By the time she was 12, she was touring with her father, singing and playing piano. When she turned 18, she told her father she was going to follow in Sam Cooke's footsteps and become a pop singer, a move her father not only approved of, but he became her manager, getting her signed to Columbia Records. Her very first single, Today I Sing the Blues, reached the top 10 of the R&B charts. Without a word of warning, Walked in this morning and circled around my lonely room. I didn't know why I had that sad and lonely feeling. By 1964, she had been dubbed the Queen of Soul with several more R&B hits, but the pop success she sought eluded her. She switched labels to Atlantic in 1967, and her very first single for the label topped the R&B charts and hit number nine on the pop charts. Man, the way 
That began a run of 15 R&B hits that includes some of the genre's most iconic recordings. Chain of Fools, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, Think, I Say a Little Prayer, and Respect. Trying to do justice to a musical icon whose recording career spanned six decades is far beyond the purview of the style of this podcast. So if you'd like a more in-depth overview of Aretha Franklin's early career, check out Andrew Hickey's podcast, A History of Rock Music in 500 Songs, episode 149, Respect. She began the 70s with another string of huge R&B and pop hits, Spanish Harlem, Until You Come Back to Me, That's What I'm Gonna Do, Daydreaming, and You're All I Need to Get By. But by the end of the decade, the hits had dried up to the point that Steely Dan's protagonist in 1980's Hey 19 laments the fact that the girl he's chatting up doesn't even remember the Queen of Soul. Franklin had several R&B number ones to start off the 80s, jump to it, and get it right, but it wasn't until 1985's Who's Zoomin' Who that she hit the top pop 20 with Freeway of Love, Who's Zoomin' Who, and her collaboration with the Eurythmics, Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves. Aretha Franklin continued to release music over the ensuing years, with her final R&B hit being 1998's A Rose is Still a Rose. At the Grammy Awards ceremony later that year, Luciano Pavarotti became too ill to perform the aria Nessun Dorma as planned. Franklin had sung the song with Pavarotti two nights prior, and after listening to his rehearsal performance, agreed to sing the song in his tenor range that the orchestra was prepared to play in. 
The performance earned her a standing ovation and became a staple of her live performances. Her final performance of Nessun Dorma was for Pope Francis in Philadelphia in 2015. In 2009, she performed My Country, Tis of Thee at Barack Obama's inauguration. Aretha Franklin died in her home in Detroit in 2018 at age 76 from pancreatic cancer, surrounded by family and friends. Her 1986 LP, Aretha, featured a song that had been pitched to Tina Turner and Arista Records head Clive Davis. Davis suggested the song be sung as a duet with Franklin and George Michael, who had just recently left Wham! and was getting ready to record his first solo record, Faith. Franklin liked the idea, as she was familiar with Michael from his work with Wham!, and Michael was thrilled with the opportunity to sing with one of his musical idols. We will learn more about George Michael in a future episode. The resulting song was a global smash hit and would be Aretha Franklin's last number one pop song. This is Aretha Franklin and George Michael with I Knew You Were Waiting For Me. Barrier was born and raised in Queens, New York. He played trumpet and drums as a kid, but began to experiment with turntables while in high school. Soon Barrier was DJing for WBLS in New York City under the name Eric B. He began to look for rappers, and a promoter he knew suggested Freddie Fox. But when they got to his house, Fox wasn't home, so they went and looked up William Griffin instead. Griffin had changed his name to Rakim after converting to the Nation of Gods and Earths, and soon, Eric B. and Rakim's first single, Eric B. is President, hit record shops in 1986. I made it easy to dance to this, but can you detect what's coming next from the flex of the wrist? Say indeed, then I'll proceed, cause my man made a mix. If you bleed, he won't need no band-aid to fix a fingertips. So I'm on my there's no rhymes left. I hurry up because the cut will make a bleed to death. But he's kicking it, cause it ain't no half-stepping. The party is live, the rhyme can't be kept inside of me. erupting just like a volcano. It ain't the everyday style of the same old rhyme, cause I'm better than the rest of them. Every B is on the cut, and my name is Rock Kim. There's a saying about the Velvet Underground's first album, that only a thousand people bought a copy, but everyone who did started a band. And that's the kind of impact that Eric B. as president had on hip-hop. 
Rakim's rap style was a slow, relaxed flow with internal rhymes that was a lot more jazz and poetry than the straightforward old school or the aggressive high energy of new school, and was complemented by Eric B.'s heavy use of samples in a soulful, heavy style. The duo released their debut album, Paid in Full. Their second single, I Know You Got Soul, was their first to crack the top 20 on the dance club charts and is often cited as the cut that made DJs go digging in their crates for James Brown records to sample. It's been a long time, I shouldn't have left you Without a strong rhyme to step to Think of how many weeks shows I slept through Time's up, I'm sorry I kept you Thinking of this, you keep repeating your miss The rhyme from the microphone solo with So you sit by the radio and on the dial soon As you hear it, pump up the volume Dance with the speaker till you hear it blow Then plug in a headphone That song would get heavily sampled for another song That we'll be covering in a future episode the album itself has been cited by Wu-Tang Clan, Jay-Z, 50 Cent, and Nas as being among their favorite records. Eric B. and Rakim's follow-up record, Follow the Leader, featured two hit singles, The Title Track and Microphone Fiend. I was a fiend, before I became a teen I melted microphones instead of cones and ice cream Music orientated, so when hip-hop was originated Fitted like pieces of puzzles, complicated Cause I grabbed the mic and try to say yes, y'all They try to take it, and say that I'm too small Cool, cause I don't get upset I kick a hole in the speaker, pull a plug Then I jet, back to the lab Without a mic to grab, so then I add all the rhymes I had One after the other one, then I make another one Follow the Leader would be the duo highest charting album, hitting number 22 on the pop charts and number 9 on the R&B charts. A year later, they would appear on the Jody Watley single, Friends, one of the first collaborations between rappers and R&B singers, a style that is very familiar to listeners of modern pop music. The hand beat, lead the people who need you, for those who hold you back and mislead you. To be a leader, don't get led on or led in the wrong direction, a dead end's next thing. The detour, life's like a seesaw, ups and downs, and I bet there'll be more potholes and obstacles in a path that's righteous. At times we need a hand to fight this. Way your life, straighten up, take the thought and replace it. And don't you act too faced it. Cause jealousy and envy, and you still act friendly, you can find the end when you pretend to be. By 1990, Hip-hop styles had changed again, but Eric B. and Rakim stayed true to their sound with Let the Rhythm Hit Them, which may have cost them sales, but also upped their credibility as artists by not chasing trends. So reload quickly, and you better hit me. Well, I'm letting this beat beat get with me. The stepping with 007, better make it snappy. No time to do your hair, baby. Brothers busting at me, beast. The bullets pass me, not on target. They want the hard hit, but watch the guard get. Quick up the tongue with the trigger, cause I'm real fast. Let on some river madam, let them feel the blast. Penetrated a crazy rate, this ain't the ferry Hit them at point blank range to watch them radiate. Running out of ammunition, I'm done with them. You ask me how I did them, I let the rhythm hit them. Their 1992 follow-up, Don't Sweat the Technique, continued the duo's critical success, with Eric B. bringing in more jazz samples and Rakim's lyrics addressing a series of social issues, from the Iraq War to police brutality to abortion. The pair would wind up arguing amongst themselves and with their label MCA over money and break up. 
Both artists have released some solo work and then reunited in 2017. But perhaps their most enduring musical legacy comes from the fifth single released from their debut album, Paid in Full. Rakim created a loop using the bass line from Don't Look Any Further by Dennis Edwards and the drum loop from Ashley's Roach Clip by The Soul Searchers. A loop that would get reused by Enigma. Soul to Soul. and Maxi Priest. The label hired the English production duo of Matt Black and Jonathan Moore, professionally known as Cold Cut, to do a remix of Paid in Full that became one of the most influential remixes of all time. Cold Cut was not provided with the master tape to work with, so they added their own samples to the track, including the voice of Israeli singer Ofra Haza, spoken word vocal samples including Don Pardo and Humphrey Bogart, and samples from other Eric B. and Rakim songs. The remix was hugely influential on the sound of hip-hop and remix culture for years. Here's Eric B. and Rakim's Paid in Full, Seven Minutes of Madness, the Cold Cut Remix. <laughs> Jody Watley has shown up in our episodes on Shalimar and Eric B. and Rakim, so it's time to give her her due. Watley is a Chicago native who made her first stage appearance with her godfather, Jackie Wilson, at age 8. By the time she was 14, she was appearing on the TV show Soul Train as a dancer. From there, she was recruited into the group Shalimar, whom we covered back in an earlier episode, where she sang on the group's biggest hits before leaving in 1983. After leaving the group, Watley moved to England, where she guested on Musical Youth's Different Style LP. We never learned of living incognito. It's a game we never played before. There cars and original hair colors. Nothing like to see the cameras flashing. People stop and stare and watch us flashing. She also recorded two singles with Art of Noise that were only released in the UK, Where the Boys Are and Girls Night Out. Party started, 
In late 1986, she returned from England and signed with MCA Records and set out writing and recording her debut album with her partner at the time, Andre Simone, formerly of Prince's backing band, The Revolution. That LP, Jody Watley, would go on to sell over 4 million copies worldwide and produce three top 10 R&B and pop hits, Looking for a New Love, Don't You Want Me, and Some Kind of Lover. Her follow-up album, Larger Than Life, released in 1989, once again charted three R&B and pop hits. Everything, the previously mentioned collaboration with Eric B. and Rakeem, Friends, and Real Love. Listen up. Watley would pivot away from her dance diva style for her next three albums, Affairs of the Heart, Intimacy, and Affections, all of which were critically praised, but sold in significantly less numbers than her first two albums. She returned to the top of the dance club charts in 1998 with a remixed collaboration with Rakim, off the hook. Tender touches, now I lust for Lady Luscious. Show her what crazy loving until the blood rushes. Step to my PI, see why I can see fly. J O B Y W A T L E Y. It's off the hook, baby. Rock him along. And Joey Wiley. On the remix side, my man D Doc, baby. Lacing it up for 98. The album that that track was supposed to be from, Flower, was shelved by Atlantic Records in the US, only getting released in the UK, Canada, and Japan. As a result, her next two albums would only be released in Japan and Europe, The Saturday Night Experience and Midnight Lounge, both of which were EDM albums. Her next album, The Makeover, featured three top five dance club hits, including covers of Sheik's I Want Your Love and Madonna's Borderline. All I can, and you've got the best of me. Borderline, it feels like I'm going to lose my Back in 1987, while working on demos for her debut album, Watley wrote lyrics to an instrumental track Simone had given to her about a recent breakup, and the demo became the final released version, including the ad-libbed Hasta La Vista Baby, which became a popular clip to put on answering machines, and would later resurface in a 1991 film, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. 
the song would hit number one on the R&B and dance club charts and stall at number two on the pop charts for four weeks. In 2005, Watley would take a re-recorded version to number one on the club charts again, one of the very few artists to take the same song to number one twice. This is Jody Watley and Looking for a New Love. But now you like the rest, unworthy of my best. I still have Lisa, baby. Velez was 14 years old when she and bandmates Mark Hughes and Alex Mosley auditioned for the Brooklyn-based Full Force, a group of hip-hop and R&B singers and producers who had recently produced the hit Roxanne Roxanne for UTFO. Perhaps based on the success of that song, the act became known as Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam. They released the song, I Wonder If I Take You Home, independently in 1985. Lisa was working at Benetton folding sweaters when she heard herself on the radio for the first time and began to suspect that they might be on to something. That did well enough in New York that Columbia Records signed them to a deal and released it nationally where it hit number one on the dance club charts and number six on the R&B charts, prompting the label to greenlight a full album. That record, Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam with Full Force, featured the group's first pop hit, All Cried Out. Their next album, Spanish Fly, was a full-on smash that featured two R&B and pop number one hits, Head to Toe and Lost in Emotion.
1989, the group released their third LP, Straight to the Sky, which didn't sell nearly as well, although the track, Little Jackie Wants to Be a Star, hit number three on the R&B charts. later, Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam released their final album, Straight Outta Hell's Kitchen, which included their last R&B and dance club number one, Let the Beat Hit Him. In order to play with this record, you must tune your bass to ours. Look out. By the time that record hit the top of the charts, Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam had disbanded. Lisa Lisa still tours on the nostalgia circuit, having recently toured with Jody Watley and Taylor Dane on the Ladies of the 80s tour. On their biggest album, 1987's Spanish Fly, producers full force were aiming for a Motown sound but with a modern hard-driving drum beat. This is particularly evident in the hit Head to Toe, that melodically owes a debt to the Supremes back in my arms again. The track was so popular when it came out that while it topped the charts for three weeks, it stayed in the top five of the pop charts for nearly three months. Here's Head to Toe by Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam. influence of the paid-in-full remix would be felt in full force just a few months after its release, albeit from an unexpected source, England. Colorbox were an electronic band signed to 4AD Records that enjoyed moderate success in the early to mid-80s. A.R. Kane were a dream pop band that had released a few early singles and had recently signed with 4AD Records. Mm -hmm. 
The two bands had very little in common, other than they had both mentioned to the head of their record label that they might like to record a commercial dance song, similar to the house music that was coming out of the United States at the time. Ivo Watts Russell, the head of 4AD Records, thought it would be great if the two bands worked together to make this happen. And thus, Colorbox and A.R. Kane entered into a forced collaboration with each group contributing a song with the tapes then given to the other band to mess about with. The groups did not get on with each other at all, but they did each produce one track. Anatina, The First Time I See She Dance, pump up the volume. which was named after the Eric B. and Rakim sample from I Know You Got Soul, as heard in the Cold Cut remix of Eric B. and Rakim's Paid in Full. After the singles were turned in, DJs CJ McIntosh and Dave Durrell were given the tracks, and they both added scratches and additional samples. Both bands wanted the tracks released under their respective band names, but Watt Russell overruled them and issued the songs as a double A-side 12-inch single under the name Mars. As a test, 4AD released the single to UK clubs first to see which side got more play, and the winner was Pump Up the Volume, which then was given a full promotional push. But the song really took off when the remix version was released, which added even more samples to the track, and it was this version that was mixed down into the 45 version, which began to get airplay on British radio. The record had risen to number two on the British pop charts when the injunctions started coming in over the use of certain samples on the record. Nevertheless, the track would hit number one in the UK and go top ten all across Europe. By the time the record got to the US, the samples that hadn't been cleared had been replaced with others. Most noticeably, the James Brown samples were mostly gone, and the addition of George Krantz's Din Da Da Trommel Tance had been added. Pump up the volume, pump up the volume, dance.
That version would top the U.S. charts. Mars only ever recorded two songs, but one of them wound up having a massive influence on modern music. This is Pump Up the Volume. Perry Arlette McKissick started her music career as a backing vocalist for the funk band Confunction in 1980, where she co-wrote one of the band's singles, Body Lovers. She was preparing to sign a deal for a solo career when she became pregnant and dropped out of music to care for her child. A few years later, she self-produced a demo and music video which landed her a contract with MCA Records. She adopted the stage name Pebbles, a nickname that had been given to her by her godfather, and released her eponymous debut album in 1987, which would wind up selling over a million copies based on the success of three R&B hits. Take Your Time, Mercedes Boy, and Girlfriend. Her next album, Always, would feature four R&B Top 20 hits, including two number one tracks, Giving You the Benefit and a duet with Babyface, Love Makes Things Happen. I'm telling you love. then took a year or two off for the birth of her second child and formed a production company, Pebitone, and signed on to manage a vocal trio called Second Nature. Pebbles renamed the group TLC, who would go on to enjoy massive success throughout the rest of the decade.
Pebbles returned to her recording career in 1995 with Straight From My Heart, which featured the R&B hit, Are You Ready? After that album, Pebbles would be fired as TLC's managers after accusations of financial shenanigans, which in turn led to her divorce from her husband, L.A. Reid, who owned the label that TLC recorded for. That in turn led Pebbles to reevaluate her life, which resulted in a religious conversion. She ended her recording career, retiring the name Pebbles, and adopted the name Sister Perry, and founded the Women of God Changing Lives Ministries. She has continued on in her new capacity as a minister since 1997, releasing one gospel album in 2008. Back in 1987, the demo that she wrote and recorded would wind up as the second single being released from her debut album. This is Pebbles with Mercedes Boy. Trent Howard was born in Manhattan, the son of gospel singer Frances Howard. She married a bishop, James Benjamin Darby. The family moved to Florida, where Terrence would train as a boxer and win the Florida Lightweight Golden Gloves Championship in 1980. Howard would enroll in the University of Central Florida, but drop out after a year and join the Army. In 1983, while stationed in Frankfurt, West Germany, he would be court-martialed and dishonorably discharged after going AWOL. He fronted the band The Touch for a few years before heading over to London in 1986. There he auditioned for and was given a record contract with CBS Records. He adopted the stage name Terence Trent Darby and his debut was a global smash, bolstered by four hit singles, If You Let Me Stay, Wishing Well, Dance Little Sister, and Sign Your Name. We started out as friends, but the thought of you just came me in. The symptoms are so deep, it is much too late to turn away. We started out as friends. Globally, the album sold a million copies in three days. Darby followed that album with a radically different sounding record, Neither Fish Nor Flesh, that was written, produced, and featured Darby playing the vast majority of the instruments. CBS Records wasn't really enamored with it and didn't promote the album, which led to it vastly underperforming his debut. 
years later, he released Symphony or Dam, which did next to nothing in the US, but produced four UK hits, including Delicate featuring Desiree. Delicate like rain, delicate like snow. In 1995, Darby released his last UK hit record, Vibrator. A tangerine girl with tambourine eyes. Her face was my favorite magazine. Her body was my favorite book to read. They say that all poets must have an unrequited love. As all lovers must have thought-provoking fears. But In 2001, he changed his name to Sananda Maitreya and began to release music under his own label, Treehouse Records. Since 2002, Maitreya has lived in Milan, Italy with his wife and two sons and released nine self-produced studio albums and four live albums. His biggest hit in the United States was a song he wrote with bassist Sean Oliver about the joy of young love called Wishing well. Leslie Wonderman grew up on Long Island and began singing with local rock bands after graduating from high school in 1980. After graduating college, she began to perform under the stage name Leslie, written as two three-letter words. She recorded two dance singles that were released on a local label, which was enough to get the attention of Arista Records, who signed her in 1987 under the stage name Taylor Dane. Her debut single was a smash hit, and we will dive into the story of that song in a few minutes. That song led to an album, which featured three more top 10 dance, R&B, and pop hits, Prove Your Love, I'll Always Love You, and Don't Rush Me. I'm weighing my decision, who if it's love or if it isn't, only time will tell. years later, Dane continued her success with her album Can't Fight Fate, which spawned four more hit singles with Every Beat of My Heart, I'll Be Your Shelter, Heart of Stone, and her only pop number one, Love Will Lead You Back.
Since then, Dane has had nine tracks in the top 10 of the dance club charts, most recently with 2011's Floor on Fire. When you turn up the kick, it feels just like a hit. It's pumping through my veins, I fall right back in love again. My thoughts are running wild, it's gonna happen She is still performing and recording today. But let's circle back to her debut single, 1987's Tell It To My Heart. Dane had no record deal and no real prospects for one, but she was determined to make a go of it, so she reached out to Chapel Music and asked for some demos that had been overlooked. Among the songs she received was Tell It To My Heart, a song she immediately felt strongly about, describing it as having a happy hook. Dane's father loaned her $6,000 to create a demo of the song, which she recorded in Cove City Sound Studios, close to her home on Long Island. She worked with musician Rich Tancredi, who played all of the sounds on various synthesizers and drum machines, and producer Rick Wake. The demo got them signed to Arista Records. The song was only released as a 12-inch single to dance clubs, and it blew up practically overnight. With no album, the only way to get Tell It To My Heart was via the 12-inch single, which wound up selling almost a million copies before Dane could rush record the rest of her album and Arista could get it to stores. In the space of one year, she had gone from Leslie Wonderman, a regular woman from Long Island, to Taylor Dane, singing sensation, opening for Michael Jackson on his bad tour. This is Taylor Dane and Tell It To My Heart. been listening to Subdivisions, a podcast about the music and artists of the 80s. Subdivisions is written, produced, and performed by me, Dylan Johnson. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to like and also tell a friend.